What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode. This episode is with my brother, my friend, Ramel Huffman, who's an educator. And uh, introduce yourself, man. Talk about yourself and let uh, the individuals know uh, what you do and, and how you do it uh, with excellency, of course. Um, yeah, I'm Ramel Huffman. Um, thank you, Andrew, for having me on. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm an educator. I've been in the field of education for um, 15 years now. Currently an athletic director at an independent school here in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and so... Um, I coordinate uh, athletics for middle school and high school students. Um, right now, it's been a bit of a change of pace with COVID um, and COVID guidelines and restrictions, but we've been doing kind of like a hybrid training model. So we do some Zoom workouts, more so conditioning and then in-person training um, for skill development and uh, team building and things like that. And we're looking forward to um, competing hopefully in the fall. Um, so, you know, we're excited. Um, but yeah, you know, um, my life's work is to uh, prepare the next generation. No, awesome, awesome. I love that, man. So, um, how has it been for you uh, with uh, the pandemic and and just um, keeping the mindset of of the the groups that you're training um, optimistic? You know, as they go through uh, the the current season right now. Yeah, I think um, you know it's been a bit difficult for graduating seniors because this would have been their their last hurrah. Many of them will not uh, be competing at the college level. Um, so it's been a little bit difficult with that, but um, I think, you know, more so getting to understand that tradition and culture will remain even at, even after they leave. And so it's important that, you know, for a senior to um, take the leadership and demonstrate what it is that we're trying to build um, their attitudes reflect uh, the culture and values we have as an institution and as a program. Um, so that way those behind them will continue on that legacy when they leave. Um, and for those who are going to be with us next year and for years to come, um, you know, the emphasis is on preparation. Like you, we just can't take off a full year, full season and think that we're going to pick up where we left off from two years ago. Um, and in some regards, it's two seasons because if you're a spring sport, we didn't compete last spring with um, schools closing in, in mid-March last year and we won't compete this year. Um, so it'll be in theory almost two seasons removed from the field of play. Um, so it's just been more so like, you know, preparation There's there's no substitute for working hard and whatever we put in is what we're going to get out of it. Um, when the time comes. So, um, I think that's been more so my message. I think kids are kind of rally behind that. Um, and understanding that, you know, we want to have results when we get to competition, but there's a process to getting to the result you want. Okay. So the foresight of them being ready uh, at the end of the season and their current state right now, how close is that gap? Um, I think that, you know, it varies with team, to be completely honest. Um, I think that we have um, some teams where students participate in sports outside of school. So they're still getting a lot of reps and some of them are even competing right now. So they'll be fresh. You know, they'll, they'll be, you know, they won't miss a beat. I think um, with some of the sports that we've recently um, began to field competitive teams for. Um, I think it's going to be a little harder. Um, there's going to be a little bit more of a, a learning curve just because there's still no substitute for the competitive element. You can do as much skill work as you want, but at some point you got to put it into practice in, in a live situation. Um, so I think, you know, with some of our team sports, um, particularly those that are, you know, more combination sports like volleyball, basketball, um, things like that, those sports will probably be a little bit um, behind. Um, whereas, like, even the baseball, the team sport, or softball, the team sport, um, it's a little bit easier to compete um, in those sports if you have, like, a dominant pitcher. 
before, you know, um, you're hitting, you can still, you know, get in a batting cage and things like that. Um, so um, it's a little bit easier transition from practice to competition, I think, in the, in, in the sport of the baseball softball versus like a basketball or um, a volleyball. So how have you been, though, during this pandemic? I know that I want to transition to uh, you personally. Like, how are you uh, going about uh, your daily uh, mindset for preparation, not just for uh, your professional environment, but uh, also your, your family environment? Yeah, um, I think, um, you know, I've been rather cautious, um, you know, as far as, you know, COVID is concerned. We've been pretty much... Um, on lockdown since March. I mean, we do leave, you know, I leave for work. Um, but other than that, you know, unless we're going to the grocery store and things like that, we don't really go out much. Um, so we were hyper uh, hyper vigilant, um, in that regard. Um, and then, you know, we just spend a lot of family time, you know, it's just been an opportunity, honestly, for me to spend, um, quality time with the family, maximize this opportunity, um, and see the good that, um, a, a trying time can provide. Right. So, um, um, so we've just spent a lot of time, watched a lot of movies, done a lot of reading, um, you know, a lot of, you know, mental health practices and things like that. I think, you know, um, we're not designed as human beings to necessarily be isolated. So, um, so just trying to be creative in ways to connect with people, you know, pick up the phone, have conversations with people periodically that crush your mind, checking on people. Um, so that's something that we've been doing um, more intentionally, um, I think, throughout the year. It's something that hopefully we can continue um, as, you know, people are getting vaccinated and people are more comfortable going out and so forth and things open up. Um, so I think, you know, on a personal level, it's just been like, you know what, spend time with family and friends when we can. And if we can't physically see them, you know, we get on a Zoom or, you know, some other web-based platform, um, you know, or what have you, and, and speak and communicate via phone, text, you know. Um, that kind of thing, that kind of vibe, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So the, um, I know we kind of briefly touched on sports and stuff like that with uh, the recent trades before we actually started, uh, yeah. any other trade stuff that you saw that really was exciting for you, whether it was the Rondo or, uh, Old Depot or, or any other trades that really caught your attention? Yeah. I mean, it's not so much, um, you know, that really excite me. I don't think there were any blockbuster trades, but I could see like, you know, um, you know, Lou Williams is from the Atlanta area originally. You know, he's probably coming, rounding towards the, the end of his career. Um, you know, although he's had some success, uh, you know, six man of the year, a number of times, or at least close to it. Um, you know, it, it, wouldn't, it makes sense that he might want to be closer to home. Um, and I think even like with the Rajon Rondo going to um, the Clippers, um, that's a great pickup for them. I think to have Kawhi coming off the ball and not having to be a primary ball handler or even Paul George and putting the ball in his hands with, you know, veteran leadership. He's a he's someone who's also won championships. High basketball IQ. I think it's a good deal for, uh, for them. Um, you know, so I think that teams are, are becoming more formidable. But I think at the end of the day, it's still um, COVID, right? And so at the end of the day, they're going to be COVID protocols and things like that. So no matter how well you build your team, a lot of it's going to be the luck of the draw with, uh, you know, how healthy you're at the end of the year. You got a lot of stars right now that hurt. I think Steph Curry's hurt right now. You got LeBron out with the high ankle sprain. Anthony Davis has been out for some time. Uh, you know, the Nets star players, all of them out right now. Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. So injuries are going to be a thing. And then beyond just injury, I think, you know, COVID um, is going to be a challenge. Uh, so you can trade, you know, 
try to ground up your roster the best you can. But I think those are the bigger things to manage at this point. Okay. So who's, who do you think is winning? I know there's some, some teams that are put together really well. Uh, even sure. when you look at the, the Brooklyn Nets right now, uh, one of the things that's um, in common with uh, those players is the fact that most of them were considered somewhat of like an outcast, right? So now mm-hmm. you band like four or five of these guys together, uh, they have something in common that goes deeper than just basketball. Uh, so aside from that, when you look at a team like that that's built um, pretty much from the ground up, we can say, uh, versus uh, the L.A.s and the other team that's going to compete, even Dallas, uh, what do you see uh, for the end uh, of the uh, the season? Um, I think, again, it comes down to injury. I think, you know, um, as long as, assuming that each roster has their their their, their best players, um, come playoff time. I mean, because I think some of it, to be honest with you, I think is um, it's not to say that guys aren't hurt, but I do think that, you know, with low management and things like that, they want to try to ease guys back in if they can. Like a guy like Kevin Durant took a full season off with that, you know, with that major injury. You don't really necessarily want to rush him back, you know, if you don't have to. You know, you got to see what he did. You got to see his legs. You got to see him move a little bit. Um, but we're not going to rush him back if we don't have to. We're after all-star break now, so they got to get him back in there sooner than later to be in shape for the playoff run. But let's not burn him out if we don't have to. Um, so I think that um, ultimately, if everyone's healthy, you should see Brooklyn and you should see probably the Lakers um, as far as the best teams um, assembled, um, as far as talent, I think. Um, but you never know in the playoffs. You know, you just never know um, who wants it more, who gets hot. Um, and uh, you, we don't really know what the – the playoff situation will look like as far as the travel. We know that there won't be a bubble, but will the, will the NBA, you know, really be host, hosting home games in this particular city? Um, because I think, like, the bubble helped a lot of teams even last year as far as just neutral site, neutral game site. Um, and so there is something to be said about, you know, home court advantage, even if there's going to be 25% density in a building. Um, you know, I think that there is a home court advantage, you know, that's available. But um, I expect to see those two teams. You know, honestly, even if, you know, uh, one of one of the Nets' big three are hurt, you know, and they actually traded for Blake Griffin, right? Blake Griffin's there as well. And yeah, he played two it. games already, I think. I know yeah. he did his debut. Yeah, and yeah. he, they got, a I think he they got a lot of talent. They didn't lose a lot. Um, so I expect nine, nine games play. straight, I think they're on right now. Sure. I don't know what yeah. happened tonight if they played, but yeah, they're playing yeah. good. Yeah, so they're playing well. So I expect to see them there um, coming out of the East. Um, you know, as long as they don't self-destruct. And at the end of the day, I think that uh, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and, and even uh, James Harden, they all have something to improve. And I think they understand that there's no more excuses, right? Like, you know, James Harden, there's no excuses. Either you win now or, you, or it's not going to happen. Um, you know, Kyrie Irving, I think, is probably settled into the fact that he knows he's not the guy, regardless of the fact that he maybe had that desire with the LeBron situation years ago. And I think... Uh, you think so even now? I mean, he's playing phenomenal. I know we have different conversations surrounding Kyrie Irving. I know we do. Sure, sure he's playing well, but I think he yeah. I think he understands that he's still not the guy. Like that's not his team. I think he understands that this is not my team. At best I'm Robin, but mm. I'm definitely not Batman. Mm. Um, and mm. I think he understands that um and I think that that, that in of itself having that mentality knowing like listen, I'm not that I'm not the guy. I just got to play my game do what I do well um, is liberating. And I think to some degree, it even allows people to, you know, play at a higher level than when they're trying to carry a load that they're not really designed to. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, that's fair. Uh, we, we love basketball, and I know we share a lot of things And when it comes to uh, literature. We, we love reading. We love sure. learning. Um, but um, at the top of the, the chain, we love God, right? Yeah, and sure. one of the things that, um, uh, whether it's your, your current profession or, or mine and the things that we do, uh, we seldom get to talk about God the way we would like to talk about him, right? And as born-again believers, uh, you and I, uh, we don't really get to have those conversations, right? So right. In, in passing, maybe uh, we'll share some some uh, anecdotes with individuals when you come across them, but we never get to talk about, you know, what God has done for us and, and things like that. So um, so setting that, that particular uh, stage for you, um, we've been in ministry for a long time, at least uh, as brothers. Um, so share some of your... Um, I guess your journey, uh, how we met, even, you know, a little anecdotes here and there and, and how we got here, right, uh, to, to this place now. Sure. Um, so, yeah, we met, you know, in, in, in the church, in the local church, um, and we served together um, in various capacities, right, over the, over the last 10 or so years, something like that, right? So that'd be about a decade now. Um, but I think, you know, we had the privilege of um, growing together in our faith and our understanding and our knowledge of um, Christ um, in particular, when we're talking about God. Um, but I think that, you know, we're at a pivotal moment um, in both of our lives and careers where we come across people from um, a variety of different backgrounds. Um, and whether or not they believe what we believe is really not um, relevant to what it is that we do sometimes, right? Um, and so, it doesn't change how we necessarily interact with people or um, if we should interact with people or what have you. And I think um, we're in a space now where we're trying to, or we should be trying to see how our, play, uh, how our faith comes alive in environments that are not necessarily um, homogeneous. Um, and so not everybody believes in things as we think and believe and how do we um, explore uh, the greater culture and the greater context of the world um, as believers. And so I think there's a level of maturity, I think, uh, I think that we're at. Um, I think uh, with our knowledge of, you know, biblical scripture um, and just our interactions with the world at large and so now navigating that space um, in a way that's maybe God-glorifying, um, but also um, edifying and uh, culturally, like, aware uh, helping us to be sensitive to other people's needs and not necessarily just relying solely on our beliefs or um, preconceived notions and perceptions and things of that nature. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I tried for a long time to, to keep it as separate as possible, but it's not something that you keep separate, especially um, we're not separate individuals as God has done the work in us, right? We're, it's, it's, um, it's forged in our DNA as we move through the world, right? So as we're moving around, uh, sharing what we share, whether you know it's content related or um, in the scholastic uh, environment, right? Um, we can't uh, go away from from the things that God has done with us spiritually, right? Through the Holy Spirit, right? So right. we're navigating, and people will notice that that there's something different about us, and and what I can't put my finger on it. I, I don't know what it is, but you're just different. You just um, you just navigate things different. So um, when that happens, right, which is like one of the greatest compliments ever, if you never mention anything about God and someone, you know, recognizes that, I think that's one of the greatest compliments that you can get as a believer because you're doing something right. So how have you navigated, you know, the last couple of years um, as you've, you know, learned, you know, additional things about your faith? Um, you know, you're, de you're definitely considered uh, seasoned because you're an elder uh, in the church. 
and so how have you navigated um, even as we entered COVID and even now? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I've been very intentional about just studying um, Christ himself and how he interacted with people. Um, and so um, I think that, you know, love is the center of how he interacts with people. Love, compassion, care. Um, and so I think that that's my, my premise when I meet people, you know, um, how are you doing? You know, like really, how are you doing? You know, most of the time we ask people, you know, how do you feel? How was your day? And oftentimes people aren't even listening. They're ready to respond before, um, you know, you give a response or before you even fully complete your thought, um, or express yourself. And so I think that I've been more intentional about, um, really just getting to know people, know their situation. Um, be a willing listener um, and, um, you know, really mean that, not just like, you know, haphazardly throughout pleasantries, but really be concerned about people. What is their condition? Um, can I help them with something? Can I make their day, their day a little easier? Um, and so I think that's the foundation um, for developing relationships with people that are meaningful and authentic. Um, and I think that in doing so, um, I open people up to um, conversations that they may not necessarily have often been invited to. Um, because if I'm if I'm if I'm asking you how are you, and I'm really um, authentic about it, and I'm and I'm saying, hey, this is an opportunity to really tell me what's going on. People sometimes take that opportunity. Whereas we know when people are saying, hey, how are you, but they really don't care. They're not interested in really knowing what's going on. And so um, I think that it's allowed me to. Um, have relationships with people um, really like catapult really quickly and um, almost accelerated um, friendship. In, in depth, in depth, right? Sure. Um, because it's authentic, it's really transparent. Um, and it's more so at the personal level rather than some surface level uh, conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with you there because uh, there's uh, some relationships that I recently started building and they shared things with me that were so personal. Uh, within like um, a couple of days time. And, you know, I said, you know, I, I thank you so much for entrusting me with that information that you felt so comfortable to share that with me. And I think that um, we're, we're at um, a spot now, uh, as you mentioned, like in, in this time where um, authenticity and relationships and the depth of that is um, essential, especially um, we could talk about the mental health aspect of it, you know, absolutely. But um, it, it's still the core of who we are. Right. And as you said, we're not meant to just, you know, be isolated and be by ourselves, siloed and trying to do our own thing, you know, in a room stuck streaming, you know, 11 plus hours, no interaction, no humans and stuff like that. So uh, so essentially what we're talking about is secularism and, and the intersection of God. Right. And, and how we're, we're navigating that. Is it tougher to you to navigate it now than, than than it has been because of the pandemic? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't think it's tougher. Um, I think to some degree it's easier. I think that people are looking for hope. Um, and so the, the basis of, you know, the way I navigate the world is through my faith. Um, and I believe that um, Christ gives us hope. Um, so when people, you know, people will ask, you know, like, well, you know, how are you not impacted? Or, you know, why aren't, why don't you seem like depressed or what have you? And I can share, you know, um, that it's just, you know, the love of God and the teachings that I've learned um, through, you know, biblical principle and, script and scripture to keep me um, at this place and keep me grounded and moving forward and encouraged and so forth for that. So I think that COVID has presented more of an opportunity to be very um, direct about what it is that I believe um, without necessarily being offensive. 
um, or uh, just like random. Where it's like I'm just throwing out, throwing, <laughs> throwing out, um, you know, religious language and verbiage just for the sake of doing it, right? So I think it's a more natural presentation in this time. Um, whereas in prior situations, um, I don't know that people would really necessarily ask me that as much because the world was moving at such a rapid pace. Things have slowed down, so now we have time to really think about um, and observe other people and how they navigate a situation. And so I think that um, COVID has kind of allowed for more opportunities um, to naturally have these organic conversations um, opposed to uh, pre-COVID. Mm. You said you said something earlier I definitely want to uh, touch on. And you took a lot of time to study uh, the way Christ interacted with people, right? And it's interesting that you said that because um, I focus on the same things as well. Uh, but uh, there's a particular scripture, even though I don't know the scripture and mem- memorization and re- recitation. We we can talk about that as well. I'm not necessarily a big fan of that, right? I just need to know that whatever the lesson that was in there, if I took the lesson and applied it to my life, right? That's what we want to know. Uh, so publicans and sinners. I can't okay. tell you where it is right now, but yeah. I know that in that uh, particular context of that particular scripture, they were basically looking at uh, Jesus Christ and saying, well, he hangs out with pretty much anybody, right? He doesn't just hang out with believers and he doesn't just hang out with individuals who are not believers. He is hanging out with everybody. So kind of touch on that a little bit, just uh, building that a little bit. Yeah, I think that, you know, um, I'm not necessarily going into that scripture in depth, but what I do believe is that it's a display of the fact that um, from a Christian standpoint is that human, all human beings are created by God and they're all created in his image. And so regardless of how they present in the world, it doesn't negate the fact that God created them. It doesn't negate the fact that God loves them. It doesn't negate the fact that God wants a relationship with them. And Christ is the model for that. You know, he hung out with people that were considered publicans and sinners, which were not compliments. Um, And so um, no matter what they've done, no matter what situation they're in, no matter what state they're in, whether or not it's popular, um, favorable, you know, commendable, something that we can get likes and hearts and shares for. Um, he decided that he wanted to have a relationship with those people and he would be among them. And so um, in my personal life, um, you know, in professional life, uh, you know, I don't necessarily shy away from people that maybe other people warn me of, right? Um, you know, I just started at the school that I'm at right now. When you say that, when you say that and interjecting real quick, sure. are you referring to individuals that are potentially polarizing individuals that or um, period. I mean, I think that there's some people who have um, poor reputation, um, you know, people that may have made mistakes um, in the past, people who may um, struggle with, uh, you know, substance abuse, or maybe they've even been, you know, abusers in relationships or what have you. They may have their own challenges. And oftentimes people don't want to be associated with things that um, aren't clean cut, aren't popular. Um, aren't uh, easy to understand, uh, aren't necessarily controversial. Um, And so I don't shy away from those things because those relationships don't necessarily define me as an individual. I'm I'm clear on who I am. And also the narrative that may be portrayed may not be accurate. And the only way for me to get the truth of that is for me to learn that individual um, because your experience with someone may not be my experience with someone. That's really what what it boils down to. And even if your experience, um, and it doesn't mean your experience isn't true, it just means it may not be mine when I interact with them. Um, and furthermore, I still believe that, you know, um, I have a level of influence 
I believe that, you know, the way I approach people um, allows them uh, to see something different, experience something different in relationship. And so um, relationships are designed to either um, transform or um, to assist, right? So, um, and they can be both. Um, and so I think that, you know, the relationships I seek at this juncture in my life are more uh, transformational than transactional. Um, I don't need something from anybody, um, but I do seek to grow and develop. And to, the only way to really do that is to be put in situations and around people that are different from me. Otherwise, if everyone were like me, then this would be my cap. I wouldn't be able to grow any, any more than I am right now. The, the books that I read are by authors who don't think the way I think, who have experiences that are different than mine. Um, and so um, it's the same idea. I'm living life, interacting with people who don't have my same views nor my experience necessarily. And this is how I get better as an individual. Um, and hopefully they're receiving something from me um, because my story and my journey is much different. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, last thing I want to touch on, um, and if you have any um, uh, tangents uh, before we, we wrap, feel free to do so, is uh, hypocrisy uh, mm-hmm. and how uh, the, uh, the scriptures define that and the example that it gives um, in relation to um, the things that we've been seeing um, in, in the media whether that's uh, Derek Jackson or uh, Kirk Franklin. So I definitely wanted to touch on that, hear your thoughts on that, and we could begin wrapping up. Uh, hypocrisy, I believe, I'll just lead in with this, that everybody has a percentage of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they believe that or not, that's that's a whole other thing. Self-awareness is, is really important. But I think that everybody has a level of that. They, they just don't know it. Um, so build on, on what you've been seeing or, or hearing about that particular uh, situation, whether it's uh, Kirk or, or Derek, uh, in, in line with uh, the hypocrisy uh, and how it's defined in scripture? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, I think hypocrisy, when we're really looking at it, comes down to intent. I don't think it's necessarily um, to, do, to, to say one thing and to do another. I don't think that that's necessarily what um, hypocrisy is, as much as it is um, that your intention is to, um, to deceive almost or to control. Um, and so um, I think that when you're talking about the situations concerning uh, Derek and, and Kirk Franklin, um, I think that these are individuals who may have had moments where their character um, may not have necessarily aligned with their values or even the things that they may uh, share with the public, what have you. Um, but it doesn't negate that they don't, be- it doesn't mean that they don't believe those things. It means that they're human. And so I think that, you know, um, a hypocrite is one who is habitual in practice. Um, they say one thing and they are habitually doing something otherwise. I don't, I wouldn't say that a hypocrite is one person who says one thing and because in a one particular moment they've done something else, they made a mistake, um, that that defines them. Um, and so I think that we have to be careful with labels um, like, like, like a hypocrite or hypocrisy um, because we don't even get to define people. And so um, I think I think the, the acid test uh, for both individuals is to see if this is something that is a habitual practice of theirs. Um, and then at that point, if we want to tack on a label, then, uh, you know, maybe we can do that. But I think that we should also understand that, you know, um, as human beings, you know, there's a growth process with anything. Um, and so those things take time. We don't learn that something's wrong. And then immediately stop all the time. It's just not the way it works. Behavior is learned and therefore it must also be unlearned. And that takes a process. It took time to learn it. It'll take time to unlearn it. And then once you unlearn it, you still have to replace it with the appropriate response and behavior. 
So all those things take time. And I think sometimes we expect, especially people who um, profess Christ or, or, or perceive to be religious, regardless of um, whether or not it's Christianity or some other religion, we expect perfection out of those individuals, but they're not God. They're human beings. And that means that there will be mistakes. There will be flaw. There will be errors. And that doesn't make you an hypocrite. It makes you human. Yeah, well said, man. Um, also, um, you mentioned the perfection, which is um, something that everybody wants from us as we're moving through the world. And I think that um, uh, we would like that you know, our media um, persona and our home persona actually to be as close as possible as the same person. I know some individuals are polar opposites of that. I know individuals are really trying to be uh, those those things. And so... So here's a tangent for you as I'm thinking about it now, um, accountability versus the cancel culture. So you have that, right? So now yeah. you see the individuals, um, their, their flaws are open to the world, whether it's a son, you know, uh, doing uh, something uh, towards the father or a husband, um, you know, having an art or something that they need to, uh, you know, reconcile with, with, with a wife, right? So you have those, those situations. So um, who's accountable and should they be canceled or not canceled? Is cancel culture even real? And in those instances, as you say, people need to grow. So thoughts on that? Yeah, I think cancel culture is definitely real. Um, I think that to some degree it's necessary as well. Um, because cancel culture also reveals things about people. And that's why I think that it's important to know background as long as it's important to know where people are in their journey. Um, it's important to know what they may have been exposed to. Um, we we're quick to make judgments without all the facts. And so, you know, we'll see, it's like walking in on a conversation and hearing something that just kind of jars you, but not knowing the full context. And so now you run with this one liner that could have been stripped out of context and now you're totally off base. And so I think that that's the, the, the issue with the cancel culture is that there are many people who are, who are looking at a snapshot of something um, without having a full reel. And so, you know, when we don't have, you know, the full unedited version of something, um, the raw information, um, we could be off. And I think that's the one issue with cancel culture is that we, we find that people are getting sound bites, people are seeing videos um, and different content that may not necessarily show or reflect the whole story. Um, so that's one problem with the cancel culture, but it doesn't mean that it's not real. Um, and I, I think that, you know, ultimately when, when we're talking about accountability, um, sure, there's 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 uh, human accountability. You know, I like to think that you and I hold one another accountable um, for the things that we're aspiring to do, and it doesn't necessarily be um, related to um, our faith and just profession. These are the things. Yeah, if if I say something crazy, you let me know for sure. Yeah, yeah. you know, right? So, <laughs> um, so, so I think that you know that's what friendships are for, um, and different relationships you have um, to hold you accountable, um, to encourage you, and so forth. Um, but you know, as a believer. I'm in Christ, you know, I'm accountable to God ultimately, because what you don't see me doing, um, you can't hold me accountable for what you haven't heard me say, or, or, you know, or I haven't said, Hey, this is what I'm trying to do. There's, there's no level of accountability because you can't see everything. You can't be everywhere. However, although you can't see it, we believe that God sees it and he knows, and we're accountable to what he's taught in the scripture. And so therefore, um, that's our God. That's our compass. Um, and ultimately, um, that's what will be judged upon. Um, and so, um, I think that's the ultimate level of accountability. And that's when you're talking about character and integrity, right? Because who you are, your character and your integrity lies in who you are when no one's watching. 
And so I think that, you know, um, cancel culture is important because I think sometimes we have people who are one way in the public and there's someone that totally something different at home and to a degree that's acceptable. Um, but it shouldn't be so stark that would, that it's like almost, um, someone who like two different people. Um, it shouldn't be so stark. I think that, you know, obviously as a professional, what it is that I bring to the educational setting and the academic arena, um, is a little bit different than my role as a husband or a father. There are going to be some differences, and so therefore you'll see some different exchanges of information, different dialogue. I mean, they look a little different, but the core of who I am is still the same. And I think that that's where, you know, um, we have to be careful. Um, and as far as, you know, just balancing that, I think it just takes a level of maturity. Um, and I think it takes a level of being comfortable in your own skin. Um, I think oftentimes people um, become a little bit uh, too concerned with how other people will perceive them and receive them. And so we we do that. And then to be honest, if you're talking about um, uh, just living life, we're indoctrinated into different spaces, right? You know, so when you're indoctrinated into a space, you're taught to behave a certain way in this environment. And so now you, you, you have learned behavior for a situation or for an environment, which may not necessarily align with who you really are. But because you have been taught and trained to navigate a space in, in, in a particular way, that be, that's what's familiar. That becomes the go-to. Um, and so now unlearning that or trying to figure out, well, how do I really infuse me into this situation um, is going to take time. And so I think that that's, those are some things we have to consider before we're talking about canceling people. Um, yeah. Man, that's, 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 that right there can be unpacked for, for a couple of hours, which we don't have. So I'll, I'll say, I'll say this. Um, what did you have to unlearn in the last two years? Uh, what I had to unlearn, uh, that's a good one. I'm just going to share this one because I think this is probably the most impactful is that I've had to learn that there's a big difference between preference and scripture. And so in the tradition in which um, I began my Christian, my Christian journey um, in the Baptist tradition, particularly, there were a lot of preferential uh, guidelines, statements, teachings that may not necessarily align perfectly with the scripture. And so um, that, but that, that type of teaching influenced how I, how I navigated and negotiated with the world. And so um, I've really done my due diligence in trying to see what the Bible actually teaches versus what it was that I was taught, because that may not necessarily be the same thing. Um, and so, and unlearning some of those things or reframing some of those teachings, um, I've been able to, to change, uh, how I interact with the world. Any particular scripture that, that jumps out that you feel like you believe that it meant something, but uh, when you studied and, and you dug a little deeper, um, it gave you a different, uh, you know, revelation. Well, on, I mean, on... I mean there's, there's a ton of scriptures. I mean, oftentimes in my tradition, you know, we, we tend to dress rather formal. Um, or semi-formal um, in a worship space, um, and casual dress is often frowned upon. Um, and we're taught to, you know, dress modestly because that's the way the scripture is written. Um, and so um, that that's a vague term. Um, and in the biblical uh, sense, you know, there were no suits. 
in in in, in biblical time. There was no there was no there were no suits. In fact, people were wearing sandals, and you know, and we don't want necessarily open toe shoes, you know. Um, and so we genderized things. We made it a little bit more of. Well, you know, God's important and you should be wearing your best because you would dress up, you know, if the president was president and so forth. But that's not biblical. And the reality of it is, is nowhere in the Bible does it say when you go to heaven, there's going to be a fashion police. It doesn't it doesn't suggest anything to that, to that, to that, to that degree. In fact, the Bible says come as you are. Um, And so um, some would argue that you should stay. it. It doesn't say. But it also doesn't say stay as you are, which is true, but it's really speaking about the heart condition because that's really what God is concerned about. Um, the hearts and minds of believers, not what they not what they adorn on their bodies. And so, um, you know, navigating that, just seeing, you know, this is not altogether biblical. God's not concerned about what I'm wearing. He's concerned about my heart condition. He's concerned about my my thinking. Um, so that's one of them. I mean, there's there's, there's many. I mean. You know, um, we pull out things about gender. We pull out things about sexuality, other scriptures, um, and we might harp on those things um, as far as, you know, gender orientation, sexual orientation and things like that. Um, and we will alienate people who don't necessarily um, align with um, what we believe to be um, God's will. And so specifically male-female relationships. And although I do agree, and I believe that that is God's will for male-female relationships, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily give me an excuse to alienate someone who doesn't necessarily um, believe in that or subscribe to that particular lifestyle. Um, because again, in the example you used earlier, is that he hung out with the publicans. He hung out with the sinners. He even hung out with the woman at the well who was you know, essentially a, a prostitute. Right. And that's so, why she was out during the day rather than, yeah. yeah, yeah correct. Yeah. Correct. And so, and so he's, he's already shown us that he's going to deal with the people that are, that are rejected and dejected. Um, and so um, who am I then to disqualify someone, um, cancel them, if you will, um, and not interact with them. That's just not the, that's not the, the model that I see in the scripture. Hmm. Um, any loose ends that you want to tie up? And I got one more thought and then we could begin um, wrapping up anything that you want to um, double, double on, double back on and just touch on before we begin wrapping up. No, I mean, this was great. I mean, I think the one thing I will say is that, you know, even with cancel culture is that we have to be very careful not to, um, we can cancel an individual if you like. Um, I, I want to say that I think you can cancel an individual as far as you may not necessarily subscribe to supporting that individual anymore or what have you, but we have to be very careful not to um, discredit or um, write off what they might have contributed because there can be danger in that. And so I'm going back to, you know, Kurt Frank has made some powerful music um, and sure he may have made a mistake here, but if we go into, we're going to cancel Kurt Franklin, then that means we have to also cancel all of his contribution to the kingdom. And that's a lot, you know, even with this gentleman, uh, Derek Jackson, I don't know him personally. Um, I've seen some of his content um, and some of it I think is great. Um, Do I agree with everything he's put out there? Absolutely not. But I do think he has some solid content. And so we, we canceled this gentleman and now we have to cancel everything he said. We almost write off all of the good 
or all of the things that might have been favorable or fruitful for us to take out um, and use and apply um, in our own lives um, can be very detrimental. It's like starting over. And so, um, again, I think we just be careful about looking for perfection in people and understanding that humans will make mistakes. Mm. Okay, so wrap it up with uh, radical candor. I still believe that um, in our profession and the things that we do, especially as believers, whether it's the truth of the scripture or the truth about what's happening in the moment that may not necessarily be uh, spiritually related, that um, candor, truth is still at the core of what I want to give. You may not like it, right? And uh, presenting it, you know, when it's time to present whatever that truth is in, in the moment. Uh, so talk about radical candor and then we'll wrap up. So radical candor, I mean, um, you're right. It can be, it can, it's, it's definitely what most people need. Um, I don't think it's often appreciated in certain situations. Um, and so I think that the key really with radical candor is presentation. Um, because it's not about the truth or not the truth. It's about whether or not people can receive the truth when you give it. And so you have to be careful, um, to just know uh, how to say things. You know, um, I think, you know, I grew up where they would say, it's not what you say, but how you say it. And so I think you can share the truth. Um, but it has to be presented in such a way that it's palatable. And again, my model for that is, um, Jesus Christ himself. In that, if you look at the biblical paradigm, he spoke in parables that way people could understand. He used language, terminology, um, and things that were relatable and relevant to the to the listener, so that way they could easily receive it, understand it, and then apply it. And I think sometimes we get caught up in the fact that this is the truth, and you need to hear it and just take it um, type of presentation, um, but that's not going to um, be favorable for anybody. Um, so I think it's just you know being um, very uh, sensitive to um, the the listener, um, the person that, you, that you're conveying this message to. And that's why I think relationship is very important um, because you don't really know how to present something to someone that you don't know, um, you know, outside of some key and core fundaments of just, you know, human interaction. Right. Um, so I, I think uh, I think that the safest way to present um, the truth is that the Bible says speak the truth in love. And I think if you can come from a place of love and you can present that, um, you can share even the hardest, the hardest truths with anyone. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, man. I appreciate the conversation, man. Excellent, excellent stuff. And and I would love to do this again. We can talk about different topics and pick some stuff in the future. If if you're up for it, if definitely. you're up for it, this is great. Thanks for having uh, me. Awesome, man. And where can people find you? And, and we'll we'll close out. Um, listen, uh, you can find me at home right now because it's <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh. You know, um, I'm on uh, social media at uh, Ramel um, or, yeah, uh, at It's Ramel. Um, and uh, you can find me there on most social media outlets. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, um, so thank you for having me. This is great. Awesome. This is fantastic. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you. Welcome. Appreciate it.